Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nabe, always airing first on WPVM LP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thanks, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, for more on Walter's music. Thank you, Devine Dyer, for managing WPVMFM in Asheville. And Robin Collier, thank you for managing KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos. If you'd like to reach me, Nave at JamesNave.com. Nave is spelled N A V E. And just a reminder, we're sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you would like to Improve your writing chops. Imaginativestorm.com is a good place to look. So today I have a, a guest. I recently met Andrea Ferry in Paris about three weeks ago. She's a friend of my life partner, Tish Vallez. Tish is from Manila. Andrea is from Manila. She now lives in Germany. Andrea has an advertising agency in Berlin, and she works globally. And I thought, well, why not do an interview? How much fun to talk about marketing and branding and how we communicate and all the rest. So, Andrea, welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio. Hi, Nave. Thanks for having me. I'm glad that you're here. So let's just dive in. And I want you to talk about, in a broad way, why this world responds so well to advertising and maybe would you discuss a bit about the kind of advertising that is really uh, useful for the world and then maybe there's some other advertising that's not quite as good so there's this criticism about advertising i'm a big fan of advertising i like marketing and yet some people will poo-poo it so could you just reflect on your philosophy around advertising and its meaning and its value. To begin with, just a quick introduction as well about myself. So as you've mentioned, right, I've, I've worked with Tish back in the day. Um, we were together in Ogilvy. For those who don't know, Ogilvy and Mather is a global advertising agency founded by David Ogilvy, who's one of the uh, pioneers of modern advertising. Um, and to your question, I think why is everyone into advertising or why is that important for our lives these days? At the end of the day, right, we are we are consuming a lot of content. We are consuming a lot of and, and with advertising at the end of the day, you know, it's just like, how are you able to like sell a product? How are you able to communicate more than just like, let's say, saying, oh, this is a bar of soap or this is a bottle of shampoo and making it more than just the product, right? And I think that's the beauty of advertising. You get to really connect with your target audience. And if it's really something like, let's say, a, a great piece of work, it transcends to just like selling a bottle of shampoo or a bar of soap. So selling is something that's part of advertising. I want to market my product. I would like for you to buy it, click a button and say yes, and then I ship you my shoes. But selling is also one category of, of marketing, of branding, of communicating the essence of what you're doing. You can do something that is less about selling a product and more about promoting an idea from a brand point of view. Is that true? 
Yes, of course. But at the end of the day, you know, like, why are you, why are you advertising a product? It's, it's to sell, right? One of my biggest lessons that I've learned working in Ogilvy, and that's something that I've, I've had since my junior year, you have to create great work that works. And at the end of the day, it's your job um, in advertising for you to sell. So if you have a great idea, everyone's talking about it, but it's not moving or selling your product or your client's products, then you didn't do the job properly. But wouldn't you think sales goes beyond the exchange of money? And the reason I say that is because I was talking with Allegra Houston, the woman that I collaborate with on our Imaginative Storm writing project. And she was saying... That a few weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I wrote a little essay that we put on Substack about the workshop I did in Paris titled Manageable Memoir, the Manageable Memoir Mm -hmm. Workshop, right? How do you write a manageable memoir? What is it really? And she said, when my Substack went out and people read that 300-word essay you wrote, we sold three courses on from our online offering. And Allegra mm-hmm. said, you, you, you sold that. And I said, maybe I sold something other than the course. Maybe I sold the people who were reading. Maybe I sold the notion to them that they are capable of generating material on the page. I sold themselves to themselves. And as a byproduct, they bought the, bought the course. So when I think of selling, I wonder about what a range it has. If I sell you to you, then you will buy. And sometimes, you know, like say, for example, if you just tell me like, I don't know, the whole agenda of it, right? Like in this course, you will get one, two, three, four, five, all these, um, let's say, lessons that you will be learning versus you are romanticizing or you are packaging it differently as to what is the benefit to me as a buyer or as a, as a potential uh, student of your course, then that's totally different, right? So one example that I always think about is say, this gadget is like, can, can be the most powerful gadget in the world versus I tell you, this gadget can fit 1000 songs in your pocket, which is the iPod. I mean, you you see the difference straight away. What 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 is that benefit to me as a consumer, as a potential buyer, as a potential student? You can talk about all the product benefits, but if you don't package it in a way that is resonating with me, I won't be interested. Well, I mean, that's the whole issue. That's the whole thing. I remember a few years ago, I was watching a basketball tournament. I'm not a big basketball fan. It was the finals of March Madness. And in the middle of the game, this fellow comes on and says, Dollar Shave Club. And I'm like, what's the Dollar Shave Club? I shave, Dollar Shave Club. And I immediately thought of how much I paid for my razors. And then he said, sitting in the warehouse of the Dollar Shave Club business, I will sell you five razor blades for $1 and you pay me the $1 plus $2 for shipping, $3 a month, and I will send you five razor blades a month. I bought those razor blades within 30 seconds of the time that fellow published that ad. 
And I don't know how many other people did it. I remember reading later that it was one of the most successful ads they ran during that season. And they, they just were overloaded with business. It was cheap. It solved the problem. And he had a sense of humor about it. So that was a classic example of, of me being motivated to buy something. It's often not that easy. It's often a lot more complicated, isn't it? Yeah, especially nowadays, right? As I've mentioned earlier, we are consuming a lot of information, a lot of noise, especially with social media, right? You just have so many options. So the question is, how would you make sure that your product, your business stands out, right? What makes, you, what makes it unique? Why would people listen to you? Why would people even buy your product versus all the other options that they have in the market? So I th that's the beauty of advertising, right? If you're able to really put together kind of work that really resonates with your audience and would really push your product in a way that just like yourself, right? I will now buy, <laughs> you know, X number of racers just because that really is something that interested me. So at the end of the day, that's the job of good advertising. Yeah. And those razors, which I still to this day use. It became a billion dollar company. I think Unilever bought it after a couple of years. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I'm buying from Unilever now. The price is higher, but not that much. And they're still competitive, more than competitive with the razor blades down the street at the local grocery store or the local drugstore. Here's something to ponder. The razor blades are a hard product that I get the razor blades, I shave, I dull the razors, toss them away, put a new one on and continue on shaving and buying razors. I buy gasoline, no problem. Put the gasoline in the tank, I buy food. So all of these items are items that are absolutely essential. What I also offer people, I offer people coaching, I offer them some thoughts on how they can brand themselves. I offer writing workshops. Those are soft, much harder to sell than the razors that satisfy an immediate need. So how do you approach those two different situations, the soft selling the idea that might be beneficial to you and the razor blades or the food that you absolutely need? What do you do from a marketing point of view with that? Trust me, I totally understand because, you know, in, advert in the advertising business, at least what we are selling is also like concept, ideas, something non-tangible, right? Something subjective even, right? What could be a beautiful piece of work to um, one client can be trashed to another, you know? But at the end of the day, I think what's very important is that, first of all, you need to know who you're talking to, right? So, who is it that you're targeting? That's the most basic. Who are you targeting, Nave? So let's use your situation as our example here. My situation is I'm targeting people who are adults, people who are educated. And when I say educated, I don't necessarily mean they have a college degree. What I mean by mm -hmm. education, people have bothered to educate themselves. They're well-read, they're thoughtful, they're curious. They never hold back from questioning concepts, questioning people's ideas. Some of them have PhDs. Some of them have graduate degrees, undergraduate degrees, or some just simply have educated themselves. 
But the main thing they have in common is they're really curious and they all are driven to communicate in some form or another. And they also want to do it in a really creative way that makes the chemistry inside their psychologies come alive and feel good. Endorphins flowing through their system like when they're running outside or riding a bike or swimming or doing other physical activities. So that's who those people are. And they're well off enough to be able to afford to invest in themselves. I, I don't know if you remember when we were in Paris and you told me, Andrea, I have this course and I could be one of your target audience, right? So let's just make it simpler. So if you want to talk to me and you want me to sign up for your course or people like me, right, who are like, let's say, curious, want to tap into their creativity, even on the like, let's say, could be like after such a busy work day, have a little outlet, which is into creative writing, right? Or maybe get better um, with communication because it's part of our day-to-day -day work. So I think I could be one of those people that you're targeting. And I share that with you when we were in Paris. So if you are just going to tell me, okay, I have this course. This is the agenda. There are 20,000, 30,000, 100,000 of people who are offering the same course, right? But if you are able to get me into a space where you would be able to elevate it in, into a different space and show me what is the benefit of me signing up to your course, then you have my attention, right? Um, for me, at the end of the day, I think I'm biased because I already know you, so the credibility is there. Um, at the end of the day, that's also very, very important. You highlight what is the benefit that I will get out of it. Why would I trust you versus all the many options that's in front of me? And I think if you're able to do that, that would get my attention. And of course, nowadays, again, because you have so many competition out there, it's not just about organic reach, right? I think you also need to really make sure that you are able to have that megaphone to be able to talk to so many people. And that's the power of social media, right? Or digital marketing. So if I go on Google, is there any creative writing happening in Paris at this date, right? Because I'm there and you don't pop out, someone else does, then of course you won't be part of my, my consideration. How do I know what to do to get that right tone. We're doing this as a personal exercise, but this is for anybody. I mean, this is, this is maybe, sure. I'm not the only one out there going like, well, okay, what could I say to Andrea that would get her all excited? But the excitement is hard to translate into copy and text and social media, except maybe on videos. So, and there's no magical word you can say. I mean, Nike says, just do it. And somehow that worked for them. But how many times does that happen? You've mentioned that you've been doing this for so many years, right? And I'm sure you have hundreds, if not more than a thousand uh, participants in all of these workshops and classes that you've had. Why did they go to you? What made them choose you versus all the other people? Interesting. I'm glad we're broadcasting this. This is the kind of conversation <laughs> you and I were just having a cafe somewhere. Okay. <laughs> if, I, if I hired you to help me, what is it about me yeah. they respond to? As simple as Tish, right? Because we both know Tish. Tish is very particular with her time, with the people that she's with. I remember in Paris, you both mentioned she was interested in what you were 
offering and then she became a participant. Again, why did she choose you? And then maybe we can elaborate on that and then create a story out of it. That could be your unique selling point. That It's an interesting story why she chose that. So first of all, the reason why people trust Tish, she was trained like you were trained through the Ogilvy advertising system which I know to be a very rigorous training proposition that goes back to the early, early days of advertising when David Ogilvy was busy at work in the 50s and the 60s. So he set the standard and then Ogilvy training gives that information to all the people that join the team, right? And Ogilvy has 20,000 people globally working. So it's not a small advertising agency. So Tish has the deep Ogilvy training she has a, a degree in psychology. She has done many, many, many global campaigns for large clients like Unilever would be one of them. Big, big billion dollar clients. And she understands strategy and she is able to listen and turn around strategic plans, maybe not overnight, but within two or three days, she can turn those around. So people will listen to her for that reason. What Tish did in 2006 was really interesting. She was looking for a writing workshop. I was offering a writing retreat in Taos, New Mexico at the San Geronimo Lodge. I was calling it the Taos Writing Retreat. Barely mm -hmm. straightforward. Mm -hmm. I had reached out to a woman in Chicago named Sheila Donahue. Sheila had a small advertising agency that she ran with her husband, who was an art director, high-end agency kind of guy. They designed a website for me that had a little man standing in the desert with a black business suit on, white shirt, black tie, standing in the middle of this massive desert somewhere out in Arizona with a little red square sign over his eyes, holding the red square sign like he was getting ready to lick a lollipop. Like it was candy, but it was this red sign that said, write with an exclamation mark. And when you touch the website, clouds came in and the instructors were all in the clouds and the instructors represented the water that was going to come down out of the sky, give the ground its fluid so that the plants would grow. And this fellow would grow out of his suit into something much more flamboyant because the clouds gave him that nutrition, the clouds being the teachers. That was the image. And mm -hmm. that image got more response than anything I have ever seen in my life. Even to this day, it's been the best one ever. And Tish in Bangkok, looking for a vacation, seven or eight months out, was the first person to sign up. She said, I love the little man in the desert. That little man is standing in the desert saying, I need to write and I'm parched, I'm thirsty. And they were able to catch all of that in one image. And the image was, I am thirsty, can you give me water? And the answer was yes, and it was done in five seconds. And that was in 2006. And that is why Workshop had 40 people in it. It had very little to do with me, except I was one of the clouds. It wasn't I'm going to come because Nave is so brilliant. It was, I'm going to come because I'm desperately thirsty and I need a drink of water. Water being yeah. the metaphor for the growth of the writing. After Tish saw the image, she sent a letter to me 
And when it came, it came through the Ogilvy system, and I thought it was a fake letter. I'm in, I'm in Bangkok. I would like to come to your workshop. Can you give me practical reasons why it would be satisfying for me, why it would be worth doing? I'm considering three. I'm considering one in the south of France. I'm considering one in New England and this one in Taos. So tell me why I should come to you. And I wrote back and said, the reason why you should come to this workshop rather than the others is because in this workshop, we're going to be looking at practicality. How does practicality and writing fit together? How can what you practice in this workshop become useful for you in your daily life? How can you write in the same way that Formula One racing designers design racing cars? The racing car in a Formula One race is absolutely beautiful. Those cars are exquisite. They're so well-designed. The imagery on those cars, all the ads and whatnot, well-designed. Everything about the car works. And the reason why everything about that car works and what makes it different than just a design on a wall or a design in your house is if that design does not work, the driver will die. It's crucial. Writing is the same way. You will not die physically. But if your writing designs do not apply, your writing practice will just fade like a racing car that spun off the track in a heavy rain somewhere in the misty lands of the forest of Germany. Boom, it's gone. And he wrote back and said, I'm in because I want to be a racing car. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And I think this was also part of previous conversation. You can have the writing workshop. What does it mean to me? It's nice to be inspired. It's nice to tap into my creative juices. It's nice to like, you know, switch off. But if there is an opportunity to actually link it back to my day-to-day job, then that's it. I'm going to sign up. So there you go. See, that could be your message that would make it stand out. And you know, this whole exercise, it's just really about conversation, listening, asking the right questions, and we get the meat. And it's interesting because we did deliver. Tish went back to Bangkok and did use some of those techniques on the racing track of life. And she carried a revived sense of her own poetics back into her work life. It wasn't that we gave her anything in Taos specifically, except a green light to re-engage what she's always had, which was her poetics. And then she went on to become more and more involved in poetry. She even now is still, still doing it. I think she's going to have a book published by three at House Press, the same press that published my book, 100 Days Poems After Cancer. So all of these years later, her sensibilities are still in the, in the realm of poetics. Do we get full credit for it in Taos? Absolutely not. She gets all the credit. Did we strike a little match, that lit a little light that was able to glow a bit in the distance through the wilderness? Absolutely. Where we are right now is we're into what you do. This is branding here. People talk about branding, talk about marketing, but this is how it works. In this conversation, with me describing in a halting sort of 
fumbly way. What have I given you that has excited you on your end? At the end of the day, my job is really to listen. And from that listening, how would I be able to ask the right questions that would direct the conversation to something interesting? Okay, so first I, I ask you about, okay, who who's your target audience? <laughs> and it was so wide. I don't know if you noticed. Then now we have Tish and Andrea, right? Which is very interesting. So if you also just focus on that, in your, in your first workshop with Tish, you signed up 40 people. Now, especially with the power of digital marketing, social media, media that you can target, you know, you have that big megaphone you can target. Maybe with this, this messaging, you, you're able to resonate times 10, times 100 people. That, that would be easy. So how do you come up with a little man in the desert? What can I do to make that happen? Is that something that would happen visually, copy? It's something that will happen across across the platforms. And yet yeah. I'm still in a quandary. I'm still looking for the little man in the desert. Where is he? He went away. What happened to the little <laughs> man of the desert? I have never gotten him back. Um, <laughs> You know, come back, little man. Help me out here. I need, I want some people to come to my workshop. Where are you? He's going, well, you did such a great job. I don't need your help anymore. I just went back and now I'm a famous author. <laughs> I saw this. You still have all these men in the desert. <laughs> well, I mean, we're all in the desert. Of course, yeah. it's also referencing Christ in the desert, the dark night of the soul out there alone, wandering around, lost, and then you're found. So here we are back again to a benefit, find yourself. So what would you advise me to do? And this is also for people that are listening. People are wondering, well, okay, this is fine. These two are having this chatty conversation about <laughs> something they do, but I don't care about selling a writing workshop. I want to sell my my guitars. I want to sell my my cars. I have a, a used car lot. I want to sell my cars. So the exercise, the little exercise we did, right, was, okay, first of all, take a step back. Who am I selling to? Who is my target audience? Okay, now I identify that this is my target audience. What is her or his day-to-day -day life? How would I be able to, you know, you have to get to know your target audience. And then when you're able to, then, okay, how would you be able to communicate to that person, right? Why would he want to buy a car to begin with? <laughs> Why would he want to have a guitar or have a uh, writing workshop or buy a bar of soap <laughs> or whatever it is that you're trying to sell? Then when you understand that, then you're able to communicate to this person using your whatever it is that you're selling, right? So if it's a soap and he, she wants to be pretty, then you have to like highlight, you know, how this bar of soap will make her skin smoother or whatever it is, right? Um, so yeah, so or say a used car, why would they want to buy a used car? Maybe whatever, right? So you have you have to understand your target audience. And in this knowledge on of who you're talking to, everything falls into place. For which social media channels would you use? What what type of advertising would you would you have, right? If you're in Germany, there's a culture you call it the cafe trinken, cafe und Kuchen. So every day you have cake and coffee. <laughs> and one time, <laughs> isn't this a beautiful? <laughs> 
I love it. <laughs> so one time I was out with my husband and we were in the coffee shop because we were craving for prune cake and this coffee shop sells apparently the best prune cake. And you have a lot of older people in this cake shop. And then I saw a piece of um, sugar pack. And then there's an advertising of a guy highlighting that he has a service for home care for the aged. And I thought it's brilliant. Where is his target audience? They go to this coffee shop. <laughs> so he has sugar packets in all their branches and saying, hey, do you need help for your home care? Would you want us to like go to your home or you whatever it is? Call this number. Perfect. And I thought, brilliant. You know, you don't need to have a TikTok because your target audience is not going to be there. You don't need perhaps, I don't know, maybe Google. <laughs> but then, you know, you don't need to spend so much money on platforms that would be irrelevant for them. Perfect. Sugar packets in the cake shops where these people um, would usually go to. Brilliant, I, I, I think. You know, that is interesting because I have done that with flyers. Mm -hmm. Now, just before COVID hit, I was in Asheville for great lengths of time and was going back and forth between Taos and Asheville. And I was doing Artist Way creativity workshops in Asheville, and I was doing live workshops. And we would get 25, 30 people into a workshop. Everybody would meet. We'd meet once a week and do the work in the out of Julia Cameron's book, The Artist Way. And this was three years ago. So social media was fully engaged. We were totally digital, just like mm -hmm. we are now. No problem. So I decided to do posters. So I went around town, Asheville, and I put posters up everywhere, like in the old days. And I got five, six, seven, eight people from those posters because they they saw the poster and they thought it was the universe speaking to them because they saw the poster. Now, who am I to say? Maybe it was, you know, I don't know. So that's the, that's the sugar packet in the, in the coffee shop. So no need to go online if your target audience is not online, right? But if you say that your targets, target audience is online, then of course you should be there. You should be where they are. Yeah. The big problem that a lot of people have with this there's just so much to do. So many platforms. It's so big that sometimes you can get confused with it. That 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 is a challenge nowadays. I must say. So, what should I say to people to get them to sign up for a workshop? Do you have any quick emotional hit on that? The idea that you know we already had, uh, we already hit the mark earlier. Right? Why? Why did these forty people sign up for your workshop? Particularly Tish, right? And I share that with you as well. That resonated with me. You shared this whole man in the desert. Why I should be going to that workshop? And and I told you, if the day, if I was just in Paris in those dates, I I would have I would have gone. Uh, so yeah. So I think it's just really building on that, right? So we have to think about about the visual. We have to think about the copy, but then anchored to creative writing that you can use in your day-to-day -day job with a practicality hook, which I think would make it stand out versus, say, uh, all the other options in out there. Now, that's a terrific summation. So thank you. That's what I was trying to get you to do. It's just like summit so that people listening <laughs> would go like, okay, what are these guys going to do next? So I would like for you to tell folks 
a little bit about your your business, your background, and and what you do in Germany and how you liaison between the the German business community, the Asian business community, because I know that's your specialty. Yeah, so I have been in advertising marketing for too long. (laughs) So I was working in Asia before I moved to Europe, and now I have my own digital marketing agency. So that is our bread and butter. We help businesses grow online. One of the services that we also offer is to help companies or businesses from Europe make it to Asia and also from Asia make it to Europe. Why? Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm an Asian living in Europe. So that's the best of both worlds, right? So I can help businesses from both regions uh, maximize their presence um, yeah, in, in Europe and in Asia. So yeah, so that's what that's what we do. That's um that's the reason why I was also in Paris because there was a big show and then yeah, we're just helping a couple of Asian brands make it to Europe. So what do you have to do in order to soften the way for uh, an Asian brand to come to to Europe? Number one, again, you know, they need to know more about the market. So one of the services that we also offer is, uh, we call it an immersion tour, right? So they get to know the European market. So say, for example, for furniture products or brands um, from Asia, then we show them, okay, this is how the Europeans tick. This is how um, your competition is in Europe. And so with with that knowledge, they're able to create a brand that would make it successful in Europe. So same thing as well for European brands wanting to make it to Asia. So how is it for you with a little boutique agency? Are you competitive with the bigger agencies? What distinguishes you and in, in your team? And I think you told me in Paris that your team is based around the world, so you don't have to worry about an office. Yes, uh, we are all working remotely because that is also something that I personally really want to do. At the end of the day, when I was also working back in agencies and also on the client side, I would always question, you know, why am I being dictated when, where, and how I can be productive? So for me, with my team, you know, as long as we all work on our deadlines and the requirements, how we do it, where we do it, when we do it, I don't really care. Uh, so yeah, so we are a uh, a small team, 16 and growing all located all over the world. And if we also need some more help, then I also have a really good network of experts that I can tap into. And I think one of one of our strengths would be we all came from big agencies. <laughs> so we do have the knowledge, we do have the expertise, we do have the training. We just don't cost an arm and a leg. So somebody listening would hear you say, we come from big agencies. What does a big agency do for its employees? How do they train people like you so that you are able to do things that somebody that would be not agency trained would do? What 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 do you have? What superpower exists for you and your team? I think for me, for me personally, I think at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, the whole strategic thinking. And you mentioned earlier, right? Like when you come from big agencies, you're exposed to big brands, big companies like Unilever. 
experiences, all the knowledge, the training that you get, that really helps. That really helps. So what would be, say, an example of training? What would they teach you that you wouldn't learn outside an agency? I have always been an agency kid, so I wouldn't know how it is um, outside of the agency. However, with I, I also worked, um, my last job was on the client side. I was working for BMW in Asia. With agency, you're working on a lot of clients, a lot of projects simultaneously. That training is already big. One morning you're meeting with your, I don't know, clients talking about the next campaign. In the afternoon, you're talking to your creatives. In the evening, you're trying to produce, you know. So you have all these things happening all at the same time and you have to be on top of every task, at least for me as an account manager. So that training to be always good (laughs) on top of everything that you do (laughs) with so many projects uh, and tasks on your plate and still deliver, for me, that's, that's one of the things that I really took out of my agency days. So it strikes me that it, managing your psychology with, with the bigger clients like Unilever, which is a billion dollar a year client, you have the large scope, but you still have to do the small work. Mm-hmm. And I would think the training would allow you to keep the large scope in mind and still work on the small scale. And I would think somebody who didn't have agency training wouldn't understand those big scopes because they would never they would have never been exposed to it. Say, for example, if you don't really have the training, you can just be very tactical, but then you don't have the vision. You don't have the overarching strategy, for example. All seems to be well, but then the question is, are you really building the brand? What is the vision? What is the North Star that you're trying to follow, right? And when you have the training, especially, I can only speak for myself, right? I worked with Ogilvy and also one agency, low before. And the training that I have gotten from these, um, let's say, global agencies working on on big clients, for me, I would never trade um, those years for anything. Wow, that's really interesting to think about. Also, I'm thinking as we close, the larger agencies allow us to appreciate the size and yet not get overwhelmed by it. It's like a dance between small and large. That's how I'm seeing it Mm -hmm. and understanding the large bit. So you you have this grand scope, and yet you can still work with the smaller things. Also, too, people like, like, say, me, for example, I'm just doing some writing workshops. I don't have a big scope agency. I'm not working under a billion-dollar umbrella I'm just doing some small things. So there's a whole different approach to that as well. So it's just an interesting combination of puzzles and and boards and games that maybe never will end. Yeah. So say with our agency now, of course, our clients are also SMEs, um, small, medium businesses. So, of course, the, the you know, you're more grounded to like, let's say, different kind of problems, right? Budget, uh, let's say even knowledge on marketing, which... For your bigger clients back in the day, you know, when you talk to someone from Unilever or BMW, they would have that knowledge already. But sometimes when you're talking to smaller brands, smaller clients, then there's a lot of handholding. 
it's it's also very fulfilling because the thank yous that I'm getting from from business owners are also very heartwarming for me. You know, like I can see that okay, we really made uh, a big uh, impact on their business, right? Or even if it's just like creating a website for a small company that never had an online presence, and then the CEO would really thank me. For me, that's that's just also very satisfying. That's a nice way to say it. While you were talking, I had an image of an advertising agency or maybe even the writing project that I'm doing. The bridge is shaky. The canyon is wide. You have to cross that canyon. Somebody is standing there saying, don't worry, it will be fine. I will hold your hand. Let me hold your hand and I'll walk you across this bridge. And maybe that in the end is what it's about. If you have a business and I have a need and I think the bridge is shaky and I'm a little bit afraid of heights and you walk up to me and you say, here, take my hand. I will hold your hand while we cross this together. I'm likely to grab hold and never let never release. I'm like, yeah, I'll stay here forever. So maybe that's branding right there. The bridge, the hand and the wall. Yes. For me, you know, now that I have my own business, I always come in with the purpose of being able to help. So the first question I would always ask, how could I be of help? How could I assist? So whether it becomes a project or a paying client or it becomes, a, I don't know, a discussion, one hour, two hour discussion of just picking my brain at the end of the day, it's okay. As long as I have been of help, then I'm, I'm good. Right. Uh, I've too many people have helped me. So now I'm also paying it forward if it because, you know, and, and, and sometimes that's what you said. That's that's what it is. Right. Uh, it could be your branding or it could just be an act of kindness <laughs> for that day. Well, you know, I think this is a great place to stop because we've almost reached the top of the hour. So before we go, tell people how they can connect with you. Yes, so you can visit our website. It's called www.thecreative.com. The creative is spelled T-H-E-K-R-E, number eight, T-I-V. And then I'm also on Instagram or on uh, LinkedIn, Andrea Aranedor Ferry. Okay, Andrea, thank you very much for being on Twice Five Miles Radio. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Nave. I also had so much fun. Maybe there's a part two or three. (laughs) <laughs> well, there can always be a part two, three, four. We can make it a working session. <laughs> we could do a whole series. Believe me, I'm I'm down for it. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And there you go, my friends. Thus concludes my conversation with Andrea Ferry. I hope her overview of branding and marketing gave you some insight, maybe added something to the knowledge that you already have about what motivates people to buy things, what draws people into a situation that inspires them so much that they want to engage. doesn't have to be a product. It can be an idea. For example, the idea of don't litter is well established in our culture. When was the last time you tossed a cup out your car window as you were driving down the road? Probably you've never done that before. Or if you did it, it was a long time ago. Sure, people still litter. If you walk down a two-lane road, you might see some beer cans, some cups tossed to the side, but not a lot. 
there's not a ton of the litter along the side of the road, even though there's a little bit of it. So what does the idea of don't litter have to do with advertising and marketing? Since advertising and marketing is about changing perception, changing opinions, if you think back to the 50s and the 60s, littering was considered a right. It was considered an act of freedom. I have the right, it's my freedom, it's my choice to roll my window down and throw all of my trash out onto the side of the highway. So in the 50s and the 60s, when you drove American highways, litter was everywhere. It looked like a trash dump, really. And I remember when I was growing up, everybody rolled the window down and threw the trash out. So if you were eating a bag of fries and you finished with your fries, you would toss the bag out the window or the soft drink or whatever you happened to have that you didn't want to keep in the car. It just went out the window. So like I said, littering was considered a right. It was considered freedom. It was considered a personal choice. I can do this, and most people did. Not only did people have the right, or so they thought, to throw the trash out the window, once it went out, there was nobody to come along and clean it up. It just stayed there. got older and older, and eventually it just melted into the ground or grew so brown that nobody could see it anymore. Eventually, things started to change. Eventually, people started to wonder why everybody was throwing the trash out the windows. Eventually, people started to say, wouldn't it be much better if the highways were clean. So as the attitudes changed about throwing trash out the window, as people started to think maybe it's not a freedom, maybe it's not a right, maybe it's a transgression, with the change in the attitude came ads that started to appear on television. Don't litter. Clean up American highways. Be more responsible to the greater community by not throwing trash out the window. So as these ads started to appear, which is marketing and advertising, many people could see the point. And so slowly, from a cultural point of view, people stopped throwing trash out the window. It took a great deal of time for that consciousness to change. There were a lot of people who thought they were being infringed upon, thought their rights were being taken away, felt like by throwing trash out the window, they were expressing their individuality, their power, their sense of self. So here you have the clash of ideas. One idea, throw trash out the window because it makes me me. The other idea is don't throw trash out the window, don't litter because it makes the community better. Staying with the advertising and marketing theme, you may remember the TV series Mad Men. And of course the reference to Mad Men were the men who worked on Madison Avenue during the 50s. The main character in that series was Dan Draper. He was the genius advertising guy. He could write the best copy. He came up with the most provocative ideas. He was always at the top of his game. Don Draper's advertising ideas changed the way people saw things again and again throughout the TV series. And Don Draper was rich. He could afford anything he wanted. And he had a beautiful family. Now, the subplots were all running through this, and maybe his family wasn't as beautiful as it appeared, but it was all about appearance. In one scene, the family goes out to the country in their beautiful new car, convertible, and they're going for a picnic. They park the car along a country road and set out their picnic on a blanket 
on a field that overlooks a great vista. And they have a great time and they talk and it's just a fantastic, beautiful family scene. Could not be more picturesque. Everything is done. They're finished getting ready to leave. The blanket is still on the ground. It's the last thing that Don Draper picks up. He picks the blanket up and he shakes it and all of the trash flies into the air and falls onto the field. He folds the blanket up, gets in his car, and he and his family drive away, go back to the city, top down, a beautiful family returning home from a great outing. The trash, though, is still in the field. I'll never know why the writers of the show put that scene in. I don't know what the symbolism was other than maybe it's all clean and beautiful, but underneath is messy. There's trash underneath. Or maybe they were referencing the trash that was thrown on the American highways during the 50s and the 60s and how slowly the advertising campaign got traction, people changed their minds, and even the people who thought it was their right to throw the trash out, it was what made them individuals, they eventually changed. They stopped throwing the trash out. And now even to this day you see communities out picking up what trash is on the highways. Advertising and marketing played a big role in changing the ideas around littering in America. And so you can sell an idea as much as you can sell a product. As Andrea said, it's all about the needs that people have. So collectively in America, our need to have a beautiful highway eventually overrode the need for the individual to be free by throwing trash out the window. It was a pseudo-freedom. Are you really free when you throw trash out the window? Probably not, but the perception was there, and that's what matters in marketing and advertising. The perception, how you see things, what you believe, what you hold as a value. Indeed, how you see things, what you need, what you hold as a value is very important and often quite hard-earned, for sure. And how you see things and what you hold dear from a value point of view usually stays fairly solid in your life. Your needs, however, change. What you need shifts from day to day. And then, of course, what you want also is tied a bit to what you need, yet needs and wants are very different. I need water. I have to have it to live. And in advertising, people work very hard to figure out the relationship that we have between need and want. For example, when the weather is very cold in winter, most people need a hat, need something to cover their head to keep them warm. From a need point of view, any hat will do. That said, most people do factor in fashion and style when they choose a hat. So as soon as you move away from the need for the hat and move into the need for some fashion and style, then you come into the idea of what you want. Do I really need an $800 cashmere Frank nominee baseball cap? Absolutely not. Do I need something to cover my head so that the sun doesn't burn my skin? I certainly do. So as Andrea pointed out in our conversation, it is all about getting your message across. Even if you give very little thought to branding, advertising, marketing, when you wear your clothes out in public, when you dress in your own style, 
you've been influenced by advertising and marketing. You've made choices around how you want to look, how you want to appear, your needs, your values, your wants, the way you see things. It's really important, all of this stuff. And if you have a message, something that you would like to present to the world, it becomes even more important to understand how to allow your message to go out in a way the world will receive it. And even though advertising tends to get a bad rap every now and then, if you have something to say and you want to say it in a way that other people will understand it, will receive it, will benefit from it, then it's worthwhile thinking about how you would like to present yourself in the public space. Now, if you're a very private person and you have no interest in this at all, it's still worthwhile taking note that you're influenced by the advertising and marketing around you. It's almost impossible to avoid it. But what you can do is you can become more literate around how you interact with all of the stimulation that's coming at you from all kinds of sources. And you can, by being more literate, begin to get a sense of what your needs are, what your wants are, how they overlap. The want will allow you to maybe feel a bit frivolous because maybe you do end up with that expensive cashmere cap and you wear it around. That's fine. And all of this will work even better for you if you allow yourself to expand your literacy, your education around how all of it works and how, in fact, you are part of it as well. Why did you choose the smartphone you chose? What about the water bottle? Do you have a special water bottle you drink out of? Do you have a coffee cup that you cherish? Do you have a particular brand that you're very loyal to? Think about what created that loyalty. Why does it work for you? What need does it fulfill? What want does it fulfill? Does it make you feel comfortable? Does it make you feel secure? Is it a tool you could use? On and on it goes. So good luck on choosing your next hat. I hope it's one you can wear for a long, long time. And on that note, we've arrived at the end of the show. So thank you ever so much for considering all these ideas around advertising. And thank you for considering what Andrea had to say. I hope it's been beneficial for you. And most especially, thank you for tuning in to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org. The Voice of Asheville, heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. For more on Walter's music, Davine Dial, thank you for managing WPVMFM in Asheville. And Robin Collier, thank you for managing KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, out of Taos, New Mexico. And if you have some insight into how advertising and marketing influences you, I would love to hear about that. You can email me, nave at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. I would like to know more about how you interact with marketing and advertising. Do you love it? Do you hate it? What's your story about that? Please, please feel free to send me that email, nave at jamesnave.com. And I'd also like to remind you that we're sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you'd like to improve your writing chops, learn more about 
your own interior and how to tell your story, imaginativestorm.com is a good place to look. So, once again, thank you ever so much for tuning in to Twice Five Miles Radio. I really do appreciate it. And maybe you'll come back again sometime soon. And until then, I will catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.